I am delighted to be with you all. I hope that you have come to this conference with a very special mindset. I know for some of us, maybe you're like me, you've been to a lot of events. You've attended a lot of revival meetings. Listen to messages on YouTube or Audioverse or whatever platforms you choose. You have copies of sermons downloaded on your phone, CDs in your car. But there's something different when the people of God decide to get together to seek God. And that difference starts in the mindset of those who attend. There's a reason why there are not thousands of people here right now. Because it's not their mindset. Their desire is not to be ready for the coming of Jesus. Their concern is not to make sure that they are firmly grounded in who God is and his purpose for their lives. But you have decided to be here. And so if you're going to come to this place, you need to be 100% here. And not only 100% here, 100% committed to obtaining whatever God has in store for you this weekend. It is easy to go with the flow. But it's interesting, if a, if a sermon is boring, people will complain. But if the sermon is fired, they don't want to surrender and come up for the appeal. If the message is average, we go home and talk about it at potluck. But if the message is radical, it's for someone else. So which is it? So my challenge to you, as I challenge myself, speaking at every single event that I have the privilege, unworthy though I be, my prayer to God is that God would change me. That's prayer number one. How can you come into the presence of an almighty God and leave the scene? Then you haven't been in the presence of God. You've just attended a youth event. There were many people touching Jesus when the woman with the issue of blood touched the hem of his garment. Many people were touching Jesus, but not all were coming with the touch of faith. Not all believed that in this small little band of youth and young adults here in Ottawa, that the God of the universe would show up and that he would do something special for those reaching out after him in faith. I don't know what you need from God. But you know, you know where you are spiritually. You know what lays before you when you leave this place. It's nice to be around fellow believers who are on fire for God, but not all of us come from churches like that. We know what's waiting for us on the other side of Sunday. A church where everybody is not so committed to spreading the gospel. So I'm asking that you would be praying in your mind. God, don't make this a regularly scheduled program. Do something special. Now, the one other thing I have to ask you is this. How many of you, honestly from your hearts, you say, Lord, I need to take my spiritual life higher. I want you to raise your right hand. 
I need to take my spiritual life higher. Raise them. So now that our hands are up, we know what we're praying for, right? We say, I need to take my spiritual life higher. So now you know what to pray for for me tonight, even as I'm speaking. You can put your hands down. Now you know what to pray for every other speaker, every other seminar, every other activity that's going to happen this weekend. Lord, put something in that man or woman's mouth to take me to the next level with Jesus. Can you say amen to that? I know amen is not a black word, you know. It's not even an American word. People say in Canada, we don't do that. In heaven, we will. Amen. Because when sin is done, I know I'm going to say amen. We need to pray seriously in our hearts. Don't leave this place the same. Be a waste of money. You could have paid. You could have been average for free. You could have been lukewarm for cheaper. Watch this live stream online. It's true. Why pay and come and go home to sing? So if that's not the case, brothers and sisters, we got to come with the cupboards of our hearts wide open for whatever God wants to put in the pantry. We got to come with a willingness to say yes, Lord, when he's calling us to a radical form of surrender. And some part of our lives that we've struggled to let go. So allow me to open with those remarks from my heart. I've been attending GYC conferences for 17 years. I may be dating myself because some of you are probably 17 or less. <laughs> but it's also unfortunate. Because when I was your age, I didn't think I would be able to say that. But here we are. It means God's not done yet. And maybe heaven knew that we needed you. This generation. These youth at this time. Only time will tell. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, our time is short, but we are thankful for any moment in the presence of our maker. We have not come to hear the words of a man, but we have come to hear the word of God. Our desire as we raised our hands to heaven, is that we want to take our spiritual lives higher. Lord, it is so easy to be average. To just be almost persuaded, but not fully. But Lord, we didn't come to GYC Canada for an easy experience. We've come for revival, and for a deeper experience with our precious Lord. So Lord, we pray that the sweet, sweet spirit of Christ would abide upon this place. May he speak through me and may he speak to me. That Jesus may be seen is our prayer in his name. Amen. I've entitled my message, The Dark Side. The Dark Side. In Plato's master work, The Republic, Glaucon, who in real life is actually Plato's older brother, he tells the story of a man who found a ring that could make its wearer invisible. His name was Gyges, and he was a shepherd. 
Now, after an earthquake, Gyges ventured into a chasm deep into the earth where he found the corpse of a giant who was wearing nothing but a single golden ring. Gyges snatched the ring and he returned to the flock. Now, as soon as Gyges realized, as he played with the ring, the ring's power, he arranged to become one of the messengers sent to report to the king. On arriving there, he seduced the king's wife. And then he attacked the king with her help, killed him, and in this way took over the entire kingdom. Glaucon finishes his story by saying, I believe that everyone, when it comes down to it, would behave like Gyges. Everyone, no matter how apparently good, no matter how seemingly just, would ultimately succumb to the temptations of the ring. The story raises questions about the dark side of humanity. You see, what if a person knew for certain? You see, right now we may say, well, invisibility ain't going to work. We got DNA evidence now. Okay. So what if you knew for certain that you could get away with anything and face no consequences? Is there anything that you would do that you might call evil? And even if you wouldn't do it, would you even contemplate the idea? Would you be tempted? Would you flirt with the idea of what you would do with the ability to be invisible? No one saw you. It speaks to the fact that in each and every one of us, there is a dark side. We can smile. We can shake hands and show up and study the Bible and we look very spiritual. But you see, the invisible ring of our generation is anonymity. It is to be anonymous, to be a number on a screen, to have a hashtag or a handle by another name. So I can troll people on Twitter anonymously. I can say things on Yelp or some sort of review website, I did not have the guts to tell the person at the hotel myself. There was a local high school that started an app. The purpose of the app was for them to give anonymous, constructive criticisms or praises. But as good with all human nature, it degenerated into short jabs and gossip and spreading people's business. How is it possible that we could corrupt something that was designed to be uplifting because of the dark side of human nature? You see, social media gives us the ability to have an invisible ring. On our phones gives us the ability to have an invisible ring. Hide your IP address, hide away in privacy, gives us the ability to have an invisible ring. You see, this dark side of anonymity shows us who we truly are and what we are capable of. And how most of us are just and righteous because there is accountability. We always say hypocrisy pays compliment to virtue. People pretend to be what they believe would be, what will be rewarded. See, I grew up in Chicago around gangs. In a time where it was not cool to be smart. It was cool to be stupid. 
It was the end thing, right, to be a thug, to be hard, to be tough, to appear as if nothing bothered you and that people better not mess with you. Because in my environment, that was the thing that was respected. But oh, this guy, he's smart, he does his homework, you're not going to get very far in inner city Chicago. I can tell you that right now. If you survive at all. Because you see, no one's going to pretend to be something that doesn't bring some sort of social reward. It is no different in the church. Because if we all know everybody around me is going to give me praise and accolades and promote me. Because I conform to these standards, of course I'm going to do them. Even if they're not truly in my heart to do. Because hypocrisy pays compliment to virtue. I will pretend to be whatever is going to give me what I want. The invisible ring is tempting even right now for many of us. We come into this place with all eyes upon us knowing we cannot express the evil that is latent in our hearts now. But there's nothing killing youth more than anonymity. See, why do you think pornography is so rampant? Because you can do it in secret. We've gone to many Adventist academies around the world of young men and young women addicted to this trash online because you can watch it in secret. You can turn on the invisible ring. There's apparently no consequences. Who am I hurting is what they tell me. I said, are you nothing? Are you no one? then you are hurting someone. Just a reminder, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. So with this little thought experiment, I want you to think in your mind. Would you be tempted to do anything that you might think would be wrong if you knew you could be invisible, undetected, without any accountability, what would you do? Would you steal money? Would you sneak in on a, a meeting that you know you're not supposed to attend to hear what people really think about you? Mm-hmm. People start smiling on that one. Yeah, I might do that. That would be dishonest. Would you pretend to know everything? Would you be a journalist trying to expose all the apparent lies that people propagate in the news? Because I'm invisible, I can go anywhere. Would you jump on a plane even though you didn't have a ticket? That would be stealing. And I could go on and on. What would you do with invisibility? That maybe we are tempted by this ring. You know, it is the ignorance of our dark side that causes us to not understand how much we need Jesus. We live in a world of positive psychology. It's all about the law of attraction. If you want good things, you have to speak good things. But you see, when it comes to redemption, when it comes to God, God is about facing up to the truth. God doesn't want a saint by day and a sinner by night. That's not what God is looking for. God is interested 
in creating a generation of believers that are not tempted by the power of the ring. For whom invisibility presents no attraction because light cannot be invisible. I have no interest in hiding anything because righteousness has no reason to hide. So in this sense, it behooves us to first become aware that we all have a dark side. And the Bible tells us that we're ignorant of it. Take your Bibles. I want you to go to the book of Psalms. Psalm 19. Psalm 19. Beginning in verse 12. When you're there, you can say amen. Are we there? David writes, verse 12, who can understand his what? His errors. Who can understand them? David recognizes that even he cannot fully grasp his own degradation, his own depravity, his own evil, his own wickedness. He says, who can understand his errors? Were it not for the law of God, we would not know the depth of wickedness that lies in our souls. He goes on and finishes the verse and he says, cleanse me from what kind of faults? Secret faults. How many of your faults are public? See, this is why when Justin was speaking this morning, it's true when you get married and you have children because guess what? This person's in your life seven days a week, 24 hours a day. That's why all of a sudden you don't feel like such a good person because now your faults are no longer secret. The recognition now is, yeah, you look all holy and nice when we was attending GYC Canada, but now we married. Now I see you when it's not, you know, temple made of time. And we're all singing in harmony together and we're rejoicing and we're on outreach and we're passing out glow tracks. Oh, she's so holy. You know, we're, we're all excited. She's like, oh, he's so godly. He loves the Lord. I think our ministries together are going to be powerful. You know how many times I heard that? few years later, it's not working out. It's difficult. I don't know what to do. He's not a priest in the home. I thought he was spiritually there. Or he says, you know, I thought my wife was really committed to God and to the mission, but she's not as motivated for that. She wants me to get a regular nine to five job. I thought we were on the same page. I know, right? You thought you married Rachel and you woke up with Leah. You know what I have to tell people? David said, who can understand his errors? Because what you realized is that pretty little seven-day Adventist young girl has a dark side. Because when she married you, she lost the invisible ring. Now someone can see you. Now that strapping, young, godly, Adventist young man lost his invisible ring. That's why single people think they're holier than they really are. Oh, I'm doing everything great. I'm serving the Lord, you know. Then all of a sudden it's like, what happened? I thought I was a godly person. I thought I was patient, loving. But all of a sudden... When someone is always there 
And then even when people are always there, we try to run away. Oh, I need to go to the gym. I need to go to the store. Finding excuses. And even in the confines of sacred matrimony and love, people find ways to hide evil. David says, cleanse me from secret faults. You and I both know who we are in secret. We know who we are when no one's watching. When we don't have to. When there's no pressure. There's no reward. There's no affirmation. There's no blessing. We just do what's right because it's who we are. That's what made the life of Jesus so powerful. There were no secret faults. There was no dark side to the Son of God. No matter how many times Peter spoke up, Jesus never got impatient. No matter how many times the disciples did not get the vision, I'm going to die. He still woke up and loved them, the Bible says, to the very end. He loved them. There was no dark side. David says in verse 13, Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. I mean, sins you know are wrong. You know, C.S. Lewis said, you never know how bad you are until you try to be good. It's true. It's like when people say, I can quit smoking anytime. Go ahead and start today. Then all of a sudden, they realize the power that smoking had on them. So I want you to think about a bad habit in your life. Start today. Oh, I can give this up anytime. I can go vegan anytime. I can give up TV anytime. I'm not addicted to this TV show. Then quit today. No more. And all of a sudden, your mind is consumed with doing that which you have forbidden yourself to do. Because when you want to be good, that's when you realize how bad you really are. The dark side comes out. All of a sudden, when you say, I'm going to be more patient with my wife, that's when it seems like she does everything to try your patience. I hope my wife is not watching. <laughs> Babe, you don't try my patience. Ever. David goes on and says, let them, these presumptuous sins, not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless. And I shall be innocent of much transgression. David recognized secret faults, the dark side, the things we do under the ring of invisibility. They can eventually take over our lives. And right now, I can almost guarantee you Someone under the sound of my voice is dealing with that fear right now. Right now, someone is dealing with the fear, the apprehension, the trepidation that what they've been trying to keep underneath the garment of darkness might pop out into the light, might lose control over it. All of a sudden, may just come out uncontrollably, and I'm going to make a mistake. And now everybody knows how bad of a sinner I really am. David says, let them not have dominion over me. This is his prayer. Is that anybody else's prayer? This is what David is saying. But you see, David, in the context of the law of God, recognizes, I have secret faults. 
that the very foundation in our need and possibility of redemption, why God did not destroy us from day one, was assumption of ignorance. You did not fully get what you were doing. You didn't understand how depraved you really are. So in this sense, the darkest moments of our lives bring us face to face with who we really are and makes them a blessing. I know that's not intuitive. I know that doesn't feel good. That the most shameful deeds we've ever committed, shameful thoughts we've ever entertained, things that we would have done had we had the opportunity. We would wish to forget about them. But tonight, no, we have to confront the dark side of who we are. Take you to another passage. Jeremiah, chapter 17. Jeremiah 17, we, we know this verse. Verse 9, when you're there, say amen. You say amen before you get there? Okay. Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the Bible says, The heart is deceitful above how many things? Does the Bible exaggerate? No. How many things? Even the devil? Yes or no? Is your heart more deceitful than the devil? A simple yes or a simple no? Yes. And you and I worried about the devil. When we should be worried about what? Your own mind. Deception means to lead someone to believe a lie or to reject the truth. They're basically the same. Because if you reject the truth, you have nothing left to believe except a lie. And if you believe a lie, you've automatically rejected the what? The truth. Are you following that? So if the Bible says the heart is deceitful, Full of deception, leading us to believe a lie. You know one of the greatest lies our own minds leads us to believe? That we are good. It leads us to believe that lie. That because I have my devotions today, God's going to smile upon me today. It's a lie. Because I prayed my grandmother's not going to die of cancer. The heart is deceitful above all things. And guess where the heart is? Inside you and inside me. That heart. Self-deception. You know how many young people dealing with depression cutting themselves. That's why some people wear long sleeves all the time. Cutting themselves, getting into occult practices on YouTube, certain videos, finding ways to assuage the pain. But I guarantee you've never heard a sermon on cutting. Because we don't like to talk about the dark side. Never heard a sermon about horror movies. Because we don't want to talk about our fascination with evil. We don't like to talk about the dark side. Because, you know, we lead ourselves to believe that I can watch these things and nothing's going to happen to me. It's a lie. 
Some of you may remember when I spoke in GYC years ago, some young people met me on the tunnel to speak. Their friend was supposed to be at GYC, but decided to stay home. And being bored Saturday night, New Year's Eve, he decided to stay up and he was going to watch a movie called Paranormal Activity. And I want to say the name of the movie so you know to stay away from it. Some of you may have seen the movie. Be thankful God was merciful to you. Started watching the movie, talking to his friends, three in the morning, four in the morning, became demonically possessed. Called his pastor, his own pastor wouldn't even come to his house. He said, I'm not going over there. I'll pray from here. This is how you know we are evil. The fact that we have more fear over the power of the devil than the power of God. There is no minister of the gospel who's a true minister that should be afraid of a demonically possessed soul. It is the soul that should be afraid of him. But that's not what we find. Pastor's afraid to go. Oh no. So what's going on in your life, pastor? The dark side. Because we've had kids get possessed in camp meetings and it goes from the kid and jumps into the pastor. This is not made up stories. This is the truth. Because he thought, his mind led him to believe a lie. I can watch this kind of stuff, nothing will happen to me. Sure enough, there he was, under the control of a demonic spirit. And as I'm walking through the tunnel at 5 o'clock in the morning, these young people say, Brother Sebastian, can you please pray for our friend? I'm like, it's 5 o'clock in the morning. What is going on? Oh, he's demonically possessed. Where is he? He's in Texas. Where's his pastor? He won't come. None of the elders will go to his house. So I prayed with them. Thank God, God delivered him. Amen. Amen. Because God is merciful. Amen. Not because he deserved it. Brothers and sisters, make no mistake. Do not lie to yourself. And say, I can do this and it's going to work out. It won't. Is that what we're waiting for? You know, it's funny. When I tell that story and I have others, I tell people, how many Netflix shows and craziness are you going to watch? Are you waiting to be demonically possessed to realize you shouldn't watch it? Oh, once something happens and there's danger, I better stop. So nothing told you before you got to that point, maybe you should stop. Maybe you should move on, maybe you should let it go. But you see, the heart is deceitful above all things. Desperately wicked. Notice how the verse ends. He says in verse 9, who can what? Know it. Even the man himself. Because notice what the next verse says. I, the Lord, do what? Search the heart. I test the mind. God says, I know. Even if you and I do not know, God knows. The Lord knows the ignorance that we have of the dark side of who we are. It's not fun to talk about that. It's scary. Shameful. I have another verse before I bring this to a close. 
want you to go to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, verse 34. Luke, chapter 23. When you're there, you can say amen. Luke 23, verse 34. These famous words from Jesus after he was crucified and he had gotten to the place called Calvary. The Bible says in verse 34, Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. That's an interesting prayer. Because what Jesus is saying is that ignorance is the reason why God can forgive us and give us probation and not the devil. People say, well, how come the devil doesn't get a second chance? Because he wasn't ignorant. But as the Tsar of Ages tells us, there was nothing more that God could show Lucifer. But he believed that through the cross of Christ, if he could reveal his love and the penalty for sin and the amount of hatred that God had for sin, think about it. God hates sin to such a degree that he punished it to the fullest extent even though it was placed on his only son. You would think that because it was his son, he would take it easy. He wouldn't punish it completely because that was his beloved son. But that is how much God hates sin. To the fullest extent. Even though it was his son bearing the consequence. Jesus says ignorance. To those who didn't even know what they were doing. Can we truly say that our fundamental understanding of every consequence of our faults we understand? Do you think that Adam understood that by eating that fruit it would lead to human sex trafficking? Inner city gang fighting? Domestic violence? Child abuse? From one choice? Do you think he knew Yes or no? No. So what makes us think that we do? For one sin, he removed him from the garden. For one sin, Ham was cursed. For one sin, Moses did not enter the promised land. For one sin, Elijah had to give up his responsibility as a prophet. For one sin, Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead. And they received the Holy Spirit. How holy is God? That for one sin, he couldn't even overlook that one. He couldn't say, Adam, come on, I told you not to eat the fruit. Just take it easy next time, Adam. No, you have to go. For one. Do you know what the book Education tells us? That the cross was a revelation to our dull senses of the pain that sin has brought to the heart of God from its very inception. That's what God was trying to show us. Love rejoices in the truth. God said, I love you so much, I'm going to show you who you truly are. I'm going to show you how much pain 
you have brought to my heart out of love. And you know how I'm going to show you? By suffering. The penalty. Think of these questions. Did you know when you first watched a pornography video that you would start a nearly debilitating vice? Did you know that your visit to Vegas or some poker game would cost you your family, your house, your job, and your dignity? Did you know that one puff in a moment of distress would ruin you? Did you know that one unkind, snide remark would destroy years of friendship? Did you know that this affair would unravel a perfectly happy marriage and destroy your ministry? This ignorance, Jesus said, we don't know what we do, which is why God can forgive us. Jesus said, I prayed for it. We do not understand the depths of who we are. The dark side. See, there's people in this room that are afraid to get married because they know their own dark side. There are people in this room afraid to have children because they know their own dark side. There are people afraid to take spiritual responsibilities and positions in the movement of God because they know their own dark side. But I'm here to tell you tonight, as our theme reminds us, through this cross connection, yes, we see who we are. Yes, we see all of our evil and all of our dark side, but you see God epitomizes the marital commitment that for better or for worse, for richer or for poor, in sickness and in health, forsaking all others, I will still love, I will still serve, I will still cherish. While you were yet sinners, Christ died. I'll take that one amen. While we were yet sinners, God says, I know your dark side and I still love you. I know your dark side and I still called you into the remnant church. I know your weaknesses. I know your issues. I know your brokenness and I still called you. I know your imbalance. I know your tendencies. I know your predispositions. I know your drama and I still called you. It didn't scare God. And let me tell you something about God. God doesn't change. And because God doesn't change, the way he has felt about us at this moment, he has felt about us at every moment. Are you hearing what I'm saying? God doesn't change. We can't make God love us. He's already done it. He's already doing it. And he will always do it. The shock of the dark side only leads Jesus further down the path to Calvary. When he was discouraged, when he was tempted to turn back, when he was sweating great drops of blood, you know what he thought about? He thought about our dark side. And he said, that young man needs to be free. That young lady needs to be free. And when he collapsed under the weight of the cross, his body failing, that was his motivation. 
I need to give this person power over the dark side. I want to end with this invitation. I call it the reverse wedding. I want you to consider a story shared by a therapist. He's a mental health counselor who's an expert on grief. He said a woman came to him who had lost her husband to Lou Gehrig's disease, also known as ALS. They'd had a happy marriage, she said. He was a good father and a good husband. But ALS is a cruel, degenerative disease. And as her husband's illness advanced, he required more and more care. It was tough for both of them. He was a proud man, the owner of a small construction company, and he didn't do sick well. They fought more than they ever had ever fought in their marriage. But they were devout Catholics, and they had tremendous faith in their marriage. She said that every night after a tough day between them, they put their hands together in bed so that their rings touched, and they'd repeat their wedding vows to each other. When she came to see this counselor, it had been six years since her husband had died. She told him that she thought she was ready to start dating again. But she said, I can't take my wedding ring off. I can't date with my wedding ring and I can't take it off. She believed that marriages were for life. But she also knew that she had honored her commitment to her husband. She was confused. She was stuck. So Mr. Doka, he had written a lot about these things called therapeutic rituals to help people through grieving. So he suggested that she needed some sort of ritual of transition to take off the ring. She liked the idea. So with her permission, he arranged a ceremony with a priest. So one Sunday, they called together her, a group of her close friends and family members and of his family members, many of whom had attended her wedding. The priest called them up around the altar and he began to ask her some questions. He said, were you faithful in good times and bad? She said, yes. In sickness and in health? She said, yes. For better or for worse? She said, yes. The priest led her through her wedding vows, but in the past tense. She affirmed in the presence of the witnesses that she had been faithful, that she had loved and honored her husband. Then the priest said, may I have the ring, please? For the very first time, she took off her ring and handed it to the clergyman. She would later say, it came off so easily. The priest accepted her ring, and they arranged for the ring to be attached to their, their wedding photo. It was allowing her to transition from one relationship to another. Tonight, we need to have a reverse wedding. This ring of anonymity, this ring of secrecy, this ring of doing things in secret, today is time to take it off. It's time to become the light of the world. Well, Sister White says, everything a Christian does should be as transparent as light.
nothing to hide. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Very simple invitation. God may be calling you tonight to come to this altar to take off this ring of anonymity, of secrecy, of reverse wedding of sorts. I don't know what it is in your secret life, but tonight your prayer is like David's prayer. Lord, cleanse me of secret faults. If that's your prayer, I want you to come to this altar. You're saying, I'm not going to hide. I'm not going to pretend. I'm coming to take it off. It only starts with one person who has the courage. Then everybody else can come. Not going to hide. I want to be an honest, true, loving, faithful Christian, even in secret. Come. That's what it means to take off the ring. I want the Lord to help me to be righteous and holy in secret. Come. It's just between you and Jesus. No more hiding. I don't know about you, but it gets tiring struggling in secret. It gets tiring. It's between you and the Lord. Anyone else? Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. If you're not coming, you need to be praying. Because somebody is struggling in secret. And today Jesus is ready to redeem them. to take off the ring. Anyone else before I pray? Say, Lord, I'm ready to take off this ring. What I'm dealing with in secret, my prayers like David. Cleanse me from secret faults, Lord. Not hiding anymore. Let us pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we kneel before you ashamed. Doesn't matter how human eyes have seen us, God is not fooled. The Bible says that God sees in secret. Our Heavenly Father is not blind to the dark side. So, Lord, we've come to this altar because we joined David in that wonderful prayer. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep me back from presumptuous sins. And Lord, let them not have dominion over us. So Lord, we pray that as we kneel before you at this altar to take off this ring of anonymity, to make sure our lives are as transparent as light. Father, we pray for grace marvelous, infinite grace to be reminded that even with all of our faults and ugliness, Lord, you've loved us all the same. And that's why Jesus, even on the cross, he knew of our ignorance and he bade you to forgive us. We don't fully understand the implications of our failures. But Father, we trust you. 
And so we ask that you may help us to be righteous and secret. Help us to be holy and secret. To be pure in heart. And only Jesus can do that. Only your grace can make it reality in our lives. We love you and we thank you for hearing and answering this prayer. And we offer this prayer from our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.